with the guidance and with the assistance of a whole crew of people, you can make these really, really amazing projects. Hello, print friends, and welcome to the 63rd episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram and Facebook. And you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page, where, if you like Pine Copper Lime, and you got an extra buck or two jingling around in your pockets, you can send those our way and get some super cool thank yous like stickers, buttons, and totes. Printmaking forever. Shun the non-believers. My guest this week is Deb Cheney. Deb is a Tamron-trained master printer with extensive experience collaborating and printing with artists from all over the globe to produce fine art limited editions of lithographs. We talk about her journey from a young girl growing up in the south of the United States to running printmaking studios in Brooklyn and in France, as well as traveling the world as a lithographer, the collaborative process, and her printmaking romance. So. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get to the story with Deb Cheney. Hi, Deb. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. I'm really well. How are you? I am good. I am thrilled to finally be speaking with you after everything we've gone through together um, to set up this interview. You are the very first person in my that I've recorded in my new Bangkok studios which is shoved up against the door of the hotel in my quarantine room where I get the best reception (laughs) (laughs) so you're settling in nicely (laughs) I'm settling in nicely um and yeah thank you again for being so flexible with timing and everything and yeah I am really excited to finally chat but before we dive into all of that, would you just let people know who you are, where you are currently, because I know that varies a bit for you, and also what you do? Yeah, I'm Deb Cheney. I'm Deb Cheney Gilbo. Now, I recently got married a year ago to another lithographer. His name is Stefan Gilbo, and he's based in France, in, in Paris. He has a studio in Paris, and so now we have three studios, one in Brooklyn, where I've been based for the last 14 14 years now. I've been in New York. Um, I've had my own studio for the last 10, and he is based in Paris. And we also have a studio down in the south of France near Bergerac in the Dordogne region, which is super dreamy. And uh, we've been working hard this summer. We've actually been able to accommodate 
four or five artists this summer at our place there. We've got a guest house so that we can house people comfortably so that they can just wake up, have breakfast and go work in the studio. So I think that's the idea for the, the ideal dream for a lot of people when they go somewhere to make work. Yeah. Yeah, just, just easy access, no, and just super comfortable. And, and it's, yeah, it, I can't say any bad things about that place. It's really wonderful. I'm super lucky and just also super lucky to be here with my husband and not separated like, uh, like, you know, a number of people who are, who are separated. So super lucky that super happy that we were crazy enough to get married so quickly <laughs> just got, dive in and and, um, and go for it so now I've been I'm currently in Paris we're both in Paris now um, been here for almost seven months um, during this whole COVID coronavirus situation um, hoping to get back to New York pretty soon because we've got <laughs> we've got a few things to come yeah. to there like an empty apartment and a studio yeah, and we're both collaborative printers. We're both collaborative, uh, you know, professional printers. We both we work with artists, um, and that's kind of how we met. Was we worked actually with the same artist. Um, he's based in New York. It's Art Spiegelman. We worked with Art, both worked with Art Spiegelman, which was super amazing and also amazing that we. That's kind of how we met is through art in a way, and the publisher is based in Paris. So that's that's my connection. Well, I definitely have questions on my list that are, you know, more detailed about your printmaking romance, because I can't resist a printmaking romance. But, but kind of before we get to all of that, would you tell people a little bit about where you grew up and what role art had in that time in your life? Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. So I'm a Southern girl. So if you hear a little Southern accent, that's why mm-hmm. I grew up in lived in the South most of my life. And, you know, I, and I'm pretty much the first artist in my family. I have a cousin in Texas who does really amazing ironwork. But other than that, everybody's just been either like a craftsperson. My grandfather was a carpenter and he did cute little like cra- like wood whittling crafts and carpentry things um, for his church. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, my mom, you know, she decorated cakes and did a lot of home decorating. And so she was pretty creative as well. And my dad actually, I always forget my dad, he used to draw comics when he was in high school or when he was in grade uh-huh. school. So he, and every time I, we get a card, you know, from, from my parents, he's always drawing like a little character that this cute little, little man wearing a hat, pointing a finger yeah. <laughs> or he yeah cat, <laughs> yeah, but it's super cute. So I have a little bit of a background of, some sort of creative influence. But other than that, nobody has really been, you know, pursuing really the arts until, until me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How did you, yeah, how did you then kind of discover art and decide that going to art school was going to be in your future? Um, basically kind of in high school, I think like most people maybe, um, in high school taking art classes, I was in a very small small school and and they had art (laughs) art one two three and four so starting freshman year in high school took art class and it was kind of a little bit of everything and then eventually we were shown this cool stuff that you could carve and then we had this janky janky little press in this room this closet and that was like the my favorite thing 
that we ever did the whole time, like painting, drawing. Okay. There's only so many pointless drawings <laughs> with like, like those stupid wooden figure models, but the printmaking and it, she didn't even ex- describe it as printmaking. She just, just kind of explained, this is what you do and this is what you get. And voila. So, but I really dug it. And then I went to college, started out at a college in Memphis, which again had a super tiny art department, which was two rooms shared with architecture. And then I eventually transferred to University of Tennessee in Knoxville, which I don't know if you've been there, but Mm. anybody has been there, it's it's it, it's really super dreamy and, and an incredible program. And I had really ama- amazing professors and it's a really incredible program. They're always ranked, you know, pretty high in the US, USA Today grad school rankings. And it's an incredible studio. And that's really where I, I dove into printmaking all in. Mm-hmm. And I took uh, lithography for the first time. Uh, and I, I found lithography because a friend of mine was before I transferred, a friend was going to school there, and he took us on a tour of the art building. So instead of going from a room, <laughs> shared architecture, painting, and drawing, to um, a whole building dedicated to fine arts and architecture, was a real impressive step up um, from where I'd come from. And he took us on a – he was taking a lithography class, and he was like, yeah, you know – taking this class, you know, where you can draw on rocks and there's these, (laughs) you know, it's pretty cool. And I was like, what, (laughs) what is this? What is this mad wizardry? (laughs) Drawing on rocks. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what? That's what I want to do. Um, That's the class that I want to take. So I signed up for litho and immediately just fell in love and Mm. with every single part of it, I, I, I'm such a litho dork or what is Steve Candle? Steve Campbell said, um, what did he, what was he calling dorks, geeks, someone who's really into, I can't remember either, but he had, yeah, like it wasn't like a litho head, but it was like, it was some great kind of almost like old cowboy kind of turn of phrase. Shit. I'll, I'll remember it. But UT was great because they offered everything, not just litho, but I had experience taking intaglio, monotype, relief, Paper making, even they had a letterpress, but they didn't have letterpress classes at that time. But we still used it. But the main wonderful thing about that program is that they bring in visiting artists, and they also talked a lot about tamarind. And that's when I first knew and heard about tamarind. It's like, oh, cool! There's this place that you can actually, you know, they work with artists, they collaborate, they print and produce editions, and really super high quality, interesting work with artists from all over the world and this unique program. And Mm -hmm. that's when I really first heard about Tamron. And then the great thing about UT was that they would bring in visiting artists every semester. It was either one or two artists per year, or it seems like we worked with a lot of people and, and the students were invited to help and contribute and, you know, participate, whether it's tearing paper or, mixing colors or just standing there watching or, you know, actually actively participating in the printing, sponging or even rolling. And that's when I got the bug. That's when I really recognized that I really enjoyed that part of the process of printmaking. 
uh, just everything from every part of the process and learning about each different artist's creative process because mm-hmm. every artist is comes to a new project in a different way. And for me, as a young artist, that was really soothing in a way because mm-hmm. as a young artist, it's hard to think, I don't know, you're just beginning to, to start to, to make art and, you know, thinking that it's kind of, for me, it was a little bit intimidating just because I felt like, oh, it has to be this grand conceptual idea that right. on a huge, you know, brainy scale and it must refer to all these literary, yeah. literary and philosophical <laughs> references. But it, it was really eye-opening and mind-blowing to see, sure, one person works like that, but then the next person was just like, yeah, let's just do this thing and it's going to be cool. <laughs> it was, it was, it was really a great eye opening experience and just life opening experience to see these different types of artists working in completely different ways, making amazing work each time. And it doesn't matter. You're just creating, you're making work. And with the guidance and with the assistance of a whole crew of people, you can make these really, really amazing projects because you have help and you have collaborators and you have a team of people just really helping you realize this project from beginning to end. And that was kind of my first toe in the water of, of collaborative printing. But I really, I recognized that I was kind of good at it too. Everybody's like, oh yeah, Deb's going to do that because she's, she's got it. And yeah, <laughs> she's going to print that part. So, and and that was also a confidence-building thing, too. It's like, okay, well, I'm actually kind of good at this, and I enjoy it. Cool. So yeah. Taryn was all in the back of my mind that eventually, maybe, possibly, I could possibly apply and maybe get in into that program. And But I held off and, and um, didn't apply for a while. Because, you know, after undergrad, I still was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go. So I didn't. And... I had a uh, one of my professors, Anita Jung. She's like, you know what? That's that's okay. Hmm. I didn't go to grad school right away. I was, you know, dressing windows in Chicago for a number of years before I went to grad school, and and that kind of really kept me creative. And I was still being creative. I so that's important too, just to continue being creative in some in some way, form or fashion, and to keep your brains active in that way. But, you know, school's always going to be there, and mm-hmm. you really can only do it once, so go when you're ready. Totally. I think that's a really significant point for people to hear, because at least my experience in the States, you know, doing graduate school, and a lot of people I know who've had the experience is really not getting prepared in their undergrad for what grad school will be like and it can be shaking for people you know it can really I've known people who have really you know struggled with with mental health in grad school and with esteem in grad school and all of these different things that it affects because it's so different and because we don't really come in prepared and so just doing it after your undergrad because that's what's supposed to be done formula of what you're you go to undergrad, then you go to grad school, then you get your tenure track teaching job. Exactly, because <laughs> everybody with an MFA immediately gets offered a tenure track. Te- yeah, <laughs> like just yeah, the year is 1928 and you're just guaranteed. Um, 
you know, you you graduate with 10 cents in debt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's, yeah, I think it's, it's good for people to hear that you can wait and you can go into the world and you can try working with your undergrad and seeing if that's what you want and, and life experience mm-hmm. so that you can make something about exactly something. instead of just going in cold and being like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. Go, go live a little travel. My gosh, travel. And mm-hmm. I can't express how important that is to, to just leave your home, leave your comfort zone, leave your country, leave your state, <laughs> maybe baby steps leave your city yeah <laughs> your state maybe go to Canada first um, <laughs> and you know if, or if you're crazy enough go to um, Australia or, or Bangkok Thailand yeah. <laughs> how important traveling has been for me in my life it's really been a life-changing uh, experience for me and I think the thing that's really wonderful too about traveling as a printmaker is that you have family all over the world that you don't even maybe know that you had. Absolutely. It's if you if you don't speak the language of that particular place, you speak the language of printmaking. And that's how that's how I started. I didn't speak a lick of Spanish when I first started going to Mexico and but, you know, I, I could communicate through lithography. I could communicate through printing and and, you know, lots of sign language. Right. <laughs> And pointing, and but hey, that's how I eventually started learning Spanish was was through printmaking too. Yeah, that you, and you have a huge family which who have all common interests too. So that's that's a real wonderful and amazing thing to have. And printmakers are just good people. Like we're just we're just solid humans. Having met many from around the world, like they're. We're better. I would say. I'd say we're we're batting batting above average when it comes to being people, <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. So where all have you gone? Like it sounds like you know you said you've done Mexico, and obviously you've you have experience now having second home in France. But are there any other particular places that printmaking took you? Um, well, yeah, and I have Tamron to thank. A lot for that as well. Tamron, just having that name associated with me has opened up opened up a lot of doors mm. uh, around the world. Particularly in Mexico, I guess. I think Mexico was one. Uh, Mexico, going to Mexico for the first time, and and going to um, uh, La Ceiba Gráfica. That's a really amazing and special dear place to my heart and my soul. It's a really incredible place. It's in this tiny village called La Orduña, nearby a little tiny town called Coatepec. And it's about an hour away from the capital of Jalapa, which is in Veracruz. Mm -hmm. So it's this old hacienda dating back to the 1600s or maybe before it's so it's really old and historical, but they've converted this old hacienda to this printmaking center. There's studios and it's a residency. So you can stay and work and you can, they have work exchange, but you can just go and, and pay to go and, mm. stay and work. And I was able to go down there because I'm because of my Tamron association. I met a printmaker who was, had been going there a lot met him in Brooklyn and um, was invited to go and stay there for a month 
and work with the printers and kind of do a work exchange. So I was working and helping with printing projects because they have a like a printer a collaborative printing program there too. So artists can come and just work with the printer and have them mm. print their work. So I was going down there to help in that respect, but also like I was learning from them and they were learning from me and it was super cool. And that was kind of, yeah, that was a real kind of life changing experience. And and that was when I started learning Spanish. And then I was just hooked. And then I kept on going back and back and back. I've been there like, I don't know, five, six, seven times mm. probably. But I haven't been there in a really long time. I, I would love to go back. Where else have I been? Uh, Buenos Aires was a litho symposium hosted by the Corcova, which is in the old Bellas Artes, the Escuela de Bellas Artes school. There's a really beautiful glass house it's like this old greenhouse maybe but that's where the printmaking studio is and and there's a woman Lorena Pardal uh, who's uh, running that shop and doing classes and workshops and doing printing for artists as well she did she went to Tamarind as well so that was my connection with that but they she hosted this uh, litho symposium I guess it was a couple years ago now I think that was in 2017 2018 maybe they were supposed to have it again this June, but of mm. course it got, um, so that's a bummer. But that would, that's another amazing print place that I've been to. Um, got this call from Carolyn Muscat, another printer in Boston, Muscat Studios. She called me up. She's like, so I have a question for you. You like to travel, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how the whole uh, traveling to Indonesia and Malaysia thing happened was she contacted me saying hey there's this there's this crazy arts festival which there's arts festivals that happen I think that it's primary I've only noticed them happening in like your neck of the woods Mm. southeast Asia the first one was in Indonesia that we went to and they invited artists from 20 30 different countries and so Carolyn and I were from USA (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then, so they, they managed to get this press for us. There was a local printmaker who donated, not donated, but I guess donated the press for that uh, week-long residency, like arts festival. Uh, we were the only printmakers. Actually, no, there was another guy. Um, no, there were two people, two other print ma- printmakers. So there was us two and then two other ones. But everybody else was doing painting, drawing, sculpture. That was it was mm. this wild, crazy, weird, but amazing thing where people from all over the world were there just making art underneath this open air pavilion mm. <laughs> in the middle of Yogyakarta, Indonesia. But like like we were talking about language, it was interesting that and thankfully the common language was English out of mm. all these countries everybody spoke English to each other. And then amongst their own countries, of course, they were speaking their own language. But it was such a cool, amazing experience that we did it again. We went to Malaysia. And this time, there was a guy from Canada, also who was a printmaker. But on this little tiny island called Pulau Katam, Crab Island, it's this enormous Chinese primarily even though it's malaysia there's primarily chinese tao buddhists so all around the island i don't know there's about 15 20 different buddhist temples mm. and that's where 
that all of the artists to to make things. There were these enormous spaces, and uh, you know, again, they managed to get us a press to do some printing on teeny tiny little thing, but it was it worked out it worked out well. But you were like surrounded by these beautiful, ornately painted Buddhist. (laughs) That that was a really amazing thing. So, you know, during these art residencies, that's when I've got, that's when I'm able to actually make my own art for a change rather than printing for other people, printing for other people most of the time. Um, In Brooklyn, it's like, okay, you got to hustle, you got to work and work means printing and printing for other people. And, And that's my bread and butter. And when I have time, which is rare, or when I have a deadline or an opportunity, that's when I make my own work. And a lot of times I'll collaborate with somebody else. I have a good friend, Mark Hershey, who who we've collaborated on some really large silt screens. Mm. He's got this amazing automatic press that you can pull enormous flats <laughs> perfectly Wonderful. With, with this press. and. So I've worked with him a couple times, a few times, and and then yeah, I, I always joke like, oh God, I have to leave the country to make my own art. <laughs> <laughs> There's zero distractions, and I can really have the time to focus and actually have the time to think in a a continuous have a continuous thought yeah. <laughs> from start. So that that's that's one challenge I always face being a printer is is not really having the time for my own work. But mm-hmm. and of course, as a, as a Terman printer and any kind of printer, you're always asked like, oh, you you don't print your own work? Oh, that's weird. Um, right? But, oh, are you an artist? There's it's impossible to be an artist and a collaborative printer. It's like, well, it's, it's not really. That's not true. You know? Yeah, and I think that that I. Idea too that the definition of art being so narrow, you know, as if there's not an art to collaborative printmaking, you know, as if you're not contributing to that process, you know, you're not you're not a photocopy machine. Absolutely, like this piece of work would not exist without the two of us, mm-hmm. me and the artist, participating in this creative project. Absolutely, and you know, sometimes you do get the artist that. That, oh, I want this to be, I want this, and in this color, edition of 20. Okay, cool. Sometimes it's very direct like that, but a lot of times it's a real collaborative process where you talk, you communicate, you decide, you make decisions together, creative decisions. Like the artist is coming to you because you you have the experience and knowledge of this process and what's going to make the, how are you going to get that idea and that visual concept or idea possible through lithography. Like, okay, if I if we do this, we're gonna get this result. If we put this color, change this color to be a little bit more contrast, or you know, it's just knowing it's any collaboration. It's not just printmaking. Sculptors do it all the time, yeah, and, and yeah. there's other mediums that have. This, this same collaborative process that artists go that artists who don't have that experience need need these really incredible technicians to realize their work in and mm-hmm. it's, a real, it's a real art it's a real collaborative process which that that fulfills my creative need yeah absolutely because I mean there's all kinds of you know creative thinking and problem solving and aesthetic judgments 
you know, just like making a non-collaborative piece. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's it's almost even more challenging because it's somebody else's, <laughs> somebody else's in the picture, and it's a lot. It's a pre- it's a lot of pressure. Or it's done well, and and everybody's happy, and yeah, it's it. I I love what I do, and and I'm really lucky to have found it, and I'm re- re- extremely lucky to have found a partner who knows what <laughs> knows what that's all about as yeah. well. That's been really cool and interesting and unexpected. I never expected to date, yet alone marry another <laughs> another lithographer. But you know, it's it works. <laughs> so, how is the collaborative process? Sort of working with your partner, but also working kind of in business and in art. Um, how have you two found that? It's cool. It's tricky because I don't speak very good French yet. Mm. Over the last, it's you know this whole being stuck in France for six seven months has really helped. I bet <laughs> pretty immersive language studying, but um, no, it's been tricky just because of, of the language it, and working with artists in the studio. I can technically do things if somebody tells me, "Oh, we need this done," like I can do it. But working directly and working collaboratively with an artist is it's tricky so far just just because I I can't communicate completely so I just kind of back and when I'm needed I help out but slowly but surely it's 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 coming along and then this summer when we were working with artists most everybody spoke spoke English there was one woman who (laughs) she actually ended up being kind of my French teacher (laughs) it was really sweet she you know, she's like, oh, well, we can help each other because she really wanted to to learn more English, and so we were practicing together. Although I think I I was I think we ended up focusing on my French more than her yeah. English, but that was really that was really helpful and really cool. So in that way, you know, again through printmaking, I'm starting to learn another language. So it kind of it's it's a very familiar feeling from when I started learning Spanish, just mm-hmm. being completely lost and in all aspects of, of the meaning of lost in a new place. But um, eventually through working, just through, through printing and, and working collaboratively, it's, it's starting to starting, I'm starting, you know, you just learn uh, like, come on to D like, you know, you're just like, come on, what do you say? How do you say this? And slowly but surely, you, you learn you learn the language, you learn the vocabulary. So thanks, printmaking. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because, you know, when I talk to people who have second or third languages who are also printmakers, and maybe they, you know, grew up speaking, let's say, Spanish, and then they went to school in English, one of the things that they, they always say is that like, oh, like, you know, like, I wish I knew the Spanish words about printmaking, you know? Um, and so it's like, but if you, if you go... And you just work like that's how you can get them. So it's it's funny to hear that because it's like you're getting all the printmaking words first and then expanding out. <laughs> yeah, the printmaking words are, are helpful, but not necessarily for going to buy bread. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you're like, I can talk about touches with you. Uh, is that helpful? Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit curious too about, you know, sort of speaking of the experience in France versus the experience in New York and 
you know, from what I know about Tamarind, you know, it's this sort of everything is done by hand, everything is very precise and perfect. And then French shops, I associate with these huge, beautiful offset lithos. And I don't know if you've had like much experience working in those or if you've got the offset, offset machines in your studios, but just maybe something a bit about that, that kind of, you know, different experience of using the two different technologies or two different approaches to lithography. That has been another amazing thing about being here is that, yes, the French do everything different. Mm. And, you know, I've been, I've gone to Mexico, I've gone to other places and they all do the same thing. They all do kind of, I guess it's the Tamarind way. I guess they've, they've all, they've all trained or learned lithography the tamarind way but france no it's different and and these big monster presses what is it malioni uh Voiron presses mm-hmm. they're they're flatbed presses they're not offset they're actually direct so the paper comes directly in contact with the plate or the stone and you know everything is still in reverse reverse image but these machines are absolutely incredible and the possibilities that you can do are with just just with the machine alone and and it's it's actually it's mind blowing and you know I, going to Tamand and going to other different studios it's it's made me realize how much there is still to learn you I knew a lot coming out of Tamarind, but I definitely have learned so much outside of Tamarind over the years from different people and, and um, different printers around around the world. And then here I am, uh, I was at Tamarind, I finished Tamarind in 2005, so 15 years ago, 15 years later. Gosh, is that it? Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> it seems like a thousand years ago, but 15 years later, I, I feel like I'm starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know and feel like, like, oh my God, okay, why are you doing it that way? Like, well, that's just how we do it. And it works beautifully. And then, well, what do you, how do you do it? It's like, well, I do it this way. And they're like, okay, well, that's really precise and weird. Uh, <laughs> but, it works, but it works beautifully. Cool. So we're kind of mixing our two philosophies of, you know, etching and rolling and inks and things like we're kind of, I'm, I'm kind of trying to fuse the t- the two methods of French style plus tamarind or whatever style is, but yeah, that's been an experience in and of itself. It's been challenging just because it's so humbling to start mm-hmm. from zero, basically, um, not zero, but like I still I feel like almost an intern <laughs> coming into this just because you know the big machine and. And it's so, it's enormous and there's so much to learn and so many moving parts and you got to do this and this and this. And it takes a while to learn. It takes many, many years to like really, really learn the ins and outs of this machine. But it's, it's absolutely amazing. And what you can do, which, you know, they work with, they work on stone, but also they work with on photo plates. But because the stone and the plate are locked in, to the machine and you can really precisely adjust the registration just by uh, scooting this over or moving this over. There's like little micro adjustments that you can make to really make the registration really on point, really precise. 
And once you have everything locked in, you can change and manipulate that stone or that plate even multiple times until the stone is just exhausted. So adding, you know, printing a color and then, you know, burning the shit out of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's like they they, they drink the acid here in France. (laughs) (laughs) But um, um, not literally. No, no, yeah. Sometimes they taste it. (laughs) I have heard of that. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. I was like, I saw that on a YouTube video one time. You still do that? Um, But testing the strength of the acid on their tongue. It's like, what? God, don't do that. But uh, so, you know, printing a color on a stone and then changing the image, either deleting with acid, with scratching, with whatever and then printing it again in another color. So it's really working like, like a reductive photo, but also then adding. So, okay, counteretch, and then they use soap, and they're just working, so, working, drawing with, painting with soap, like you would a touche wash almost, and not exactly like a touche wash, but it's, you're just, it's just seems so effortless, mm. much more effortless with this machine and the way that they work to produce a multicolor print it's just for me in my studio it would be really challenging to do that in my studio yeah and plus the machine you can produce like just an enormous number of prints in a very little time i mean they can print two three colors in a day printing 200 plus sheets you know we're we're running 220 sheets in an hour (laughs) for the printing (laughs) You're like, oh God, what am I doing? It just makes <laughs> why? What's the point of even printing by hand? But you know, then if you only want to do an edition of twenty or thirty, it really makes sense to just pull it by hand. And I can imagine. Yeah. There, are, there are differences. I am seeing. I am noticing and seeing differences. But multicolor—that's the French style—is really incredible, rich, lush multicolor lithographs that. You can really produce just extraordinary numbers of luscious colors with printed in very, very lean, you know, transparent layers and layers and layers of ink. That's what those machines are really, really beautiful for. They have one at Landfall or Blackrock Editions now. I think that's the only only one that I know of in, in the States, I think, that's still that's actually actively running. But yeah, here, here, there, pretty much every litho studio has one, yeah. and they use it constantly. So you know, there's there's us, there's a number of litho studios here in Paris that that all have these presses. They have those presses. They have the machines, the flatbeds, but they also have hand presses too. But I think the the machines are are the ones that get the most use. Yeah, and I I like to encourage anyone listening if they haven't looked up one of these machines before just youtube or instagram it because they're just beautiful monsters like they're really kind of have to be seen i feel like to be believed absolutely i have a few i think i have a few videos on my instagram oh, good. That people have okay. i will and... definitely link to that so you can just go to deb's instagram to see them because they're they're pretty incredible and so in terms of you know as you're describing working in that almost that reduction lithographic process how is that with an artist who maybe isn't familiar with lithography coming in and working that way like how does how does that happen there's a lot of hand holding as in all, all as with all collaborative 
printing. There's a lot of handholding, especially with novice art, especially with people who have little to zero experience with printing or printmaking at all. Um, I work with a lot of beginners, a lot of a lot of people who have never done it before. So there's a lot of teaching, a lot of explaining, a lot of like foreshadowing, foreseeing <laughs> what it's going to do and what it's going to look like. Because that's the that's the main challenge is that you know painters or drawers or anybody like you just make the mark and that's and you see it and that's what it's going to look like in this color, that color, this color, whatever. But in printing, there's a wait, there's a there's a lag time. So you really have to kind of get their trust in you and their confidence in you. And it's a lot of, like I said, like handholding and, and saying it's okay. It's yeah. Be all right. <laughs> or, you know, like, I don't know. It, a lot of times I can say like, I, I just, I don't know what it's going to like, but look like, but I think maybe this way. So let's just see it. And, and then we can decide. So there's a lot of teaching involved and teaching about how it's going to end up, but also just how to use this drawing material in a way that's going to be very comfortable for you. That's the that's the challenge is to really make the artist comfortable with the process and giving them a paintbrush instead of a chunky crayon or a pencil or vice versa to to really make it more comfortable and familiar to them based on their own personal creative process. So if they're a painter, I'm not going to give them a little pencil. Um, I'm going to give them a paintbrush because that's the tool that they're most comfortable with. And teaching them how about how to use touche wash in a way that's going to get what they want to. So there's, there's a lot of either way, either in my studio or here in France, there's a lot of teaching going on. And yeah, just building that artist trust and confidence in you. There's also more of a tradition here in France of working with a chromist. My husband, Stefan, is an extremely talented chromist, so he can take an artist will, so, gosh, sometimes deliver a painting <laughs> uh-huh. or have like a printout that he will see that image and break it down into however many colors it's going to be yeah. in the end. Will hand draw all of those color separations from what he sees. So this color is going to be made up with maybe two or three or maybe even four different colors. But he knows he's had the experience of knowing what colors are going to be needed to create the same look. The same. So he's not. It's not a direct oh, scan and printout type of thing. He's actually really interpreting and recreating this image pretty pretty astonishingly right on too that's another thing that i'm really learning too is that french tradition of of chromist work which there's chromists in in new york city that work with artists Mm. too but i don't know if it's really done on this scale and there's such a rich tradition here in france of of these chromists working with you know Francis Bacon and, yeah. <laughs> and historical, you know, like Chagall or, you know, like all of these big artists here, they would just, you know, give a chromist a painting and then they would just recreate it. They would just redraw it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a reproductive process. It's a, it's an interpretation of the thing. And, you know, coming as like a Tamara printer, 
there's always been that tradition of, oh, no reproduction. That's just not a real print and blah, blah, blah. There's this judgment, um, blanketed judgment about that kind of work. But which, sure, if you take a painting or drawing, scan it and do a digital print, sure, that's a reproduction. But if you're actually hand drawing, hand painting, hand creating on a piece of mylar, each color, sometimes it could be 14, 15, 16 colors that you're then going to combine to, to recreate or an image. So. Yeah, yeah. And I think just that skill set of being able to have such an incredibly sharp mind when it comes to color would be really incredible to see. Yeah, and being able to mix colors on the fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another amazing thing that the studio has to. We've got a good crew here in Paris, and just being able to see that color and being able to mix like a, a pound, <laughs> a pound of ink. You need like uh, I think like a quarter or half of a kilo of ink to just feed the machine. Sometimes less actually, but for two hundred prints, you right. need a ton of ink, and. Uh, but just to be able to see, know what color you need, and then just mix it on the fly, and then put on the press and go and run, and then be perfect. There's these guys are super skilled mm-hmm. in doing that. Do you think that there's more education about the existence of lithography in France in general because there's this really robust tradition there? Maybe I guess so. Um, I think there's a bunch of here so I mean and mm-hmm. and they're all working. they're all I mean we're all working and we're all busy and then right now in New York or probably in the states even too but lithography studios too not silt screen so, <laughs> <laughs> a few studios working on stones and there being a desire for that that's why we stayed here for so long pretty much through this whole thing because the work is here yeah. and we really felt it's a little safer here too, but, um, but man, we, it's kind of incredible, but I guess, yeah, there's this huge rich tradition over the generations of printers that have, that have been here and artists that have been continuously and, you know, famously working. It's like Picasso was, mm. was working with the studio. There's just such a, a huge, rich historical tradition of, of litho printing here that, I'm sure that has a lot to do with a lot to do with its continued continued success. Yeah, I guess I think when I was I was asking it, I was just sort of curious because I know from working in commercial galleries and doing this podcast, I've often been uh, an intermediary between printmaking and the general public. And you know, people would sometimes come in or or, or message me and say, you know, I'm really I feel really dumb asking this because I have a degree in painting. But what's lithography? So even people who are in the arts or have been educated in the arts are kind of missing that piece of education a bit. And so I was curious about if France, if it's a bit, if it's any different. Honestly, I'm not exactly sure, but I would imagine, I would imagine that there's still some sort of a, a bias towards painting and those types of painting sculpture. But I think it seems, in my experience. That it's that that's more common in the states, and it has a lot to do with education. And I'm not exactly sure. I mean, maybe it's just academia in general, which also, in my experience, is the case. For some reason, there's been, there's just always this 
not necessarily competition, but there's always a, oh, printmaking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like even uh-huh. of, this, that slight tone of voice, the change of tone of voice. Yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, printmaking. Oh, well, I mean, I've had students who've changed their majors to painting because their painting professor told them, oh, you know, if you want to make prints, you can just hire somebody later. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> student who was a really incredibly talented person and and he was taking litho and, and he was really good and he he changed his major because I, I don't know if it was just because, anyway, so I think it has a lot to do with academia and just mm-hmm. education in general, but there's, I think it's just this ingrained system either in where it stems from, I'm not sure if it stems just from the art world, the capitalistic art world that we live in, where money is everything, and the gallerists, it's a waste of time for them to sell a print when they could make 10 times more money selling a painting. Yep. Same amount of time spent selling this, probably more time spent selling a print than selling painting and they're making a lot, a lot less money, which I mean, I think the, the, especially in New York, the real estate is so ridiculously high that time is money. And yeah. if you're going to spend the time, why not spend your time selling this more expensive thing than this not so expensive thing? So that's why there's, there's fewer galleries interested in selling prints for that reason. But also there's just this ingrained lack of education about what an a lithograph is what what an intaglio print is mm-hmm. i mean sure that, you know luckily we do have still screen that's more tangible much more easier to understand but um but yeah i i don't know where it comes from but it's a big problem and and i think having this podcast is is extremely helpful i think just just i don't know just keep on keeping on spreading the word and, yeah. and uh, printing and print my printmaking and, and yeah, and just trying to get more, more artists into it. I mean, there's a lot of big, I mean, if you think of all the big name artists, Guggenheim fellows, uh, the MacArthur fellows, they all have made prints, yep. all of them. And you think of these people and they love it. It's, it's an intrinsic, important part of their creative practice now. Since they've discovered printmaking, whatever medium it is, they have it's really captivated them in a way that it's, they've brought it back to their own studio practice. Yeah. Whether it's just visual language that you know it's printmaking language brought into their paintings. There's lots more layers and blah blah blah. Um, but or gra- just graphic image imagery too. Um, I think having artists like that that have more, you know, sway or influence on younger artists or galleries even to really help promote promote printmaking and educate people about what a print is. I think that's helpful too. Yeah, I think it's like the more opportunities people have to touch base with printmaking and really find out what it is, that's more opportunities for them to go out in the world and be their own little evangelists for, for what we do. <laughs> and, you know, it, 
every time, every time anybody asks, oh, what's a lithograph? Or any time they've come to the studio and actually seen the process, they're captivated. You know, it's like, wow, I had no idea. That's amazing. Right. You do that all the you do all that by hand. That's nuts. <laughs> but I think it's that it's like, it's just so not as accessible in a, in a way, I guess. And, and maybe that's part of academia too, a part of the curriculum. You know, if, if you're in painting and sculpture, it's not necessarily a requirement maybe to take a printmaking class. And you know, it's part of the, the overall general curriculum where I think that school's from what I understand, I'm still learning a lot about the system here in France, but I think in Europe, there's a real tradition of a real immersion in a specific process. So here, there's like a year or two years sometimes, or other places, maybe not here, but um, I know there's places where you can take lithography for two years <laughs> straight. Mm -hmm. There's specific universities here that really specialize in printmaking and book arts. There's a whole school that really specializes in in it. And you know, there's Ecole des Beaux-Arts, which has a really amazing print studio and you know lots of cool big presses and stones and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think that's that's part of part of the problem too is just curriculum and academic situations where it's not. It's either not a requirement, or, or you've got professors saying, nah, "You don't yeah. want to take print." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just hire someone if you want it. Like that's so. It's just so. It's such a limiting worldview that that you know if you're not doing X, Y, or Z, there's no point. Like that doesn't make any sense to limit any kind of creative input people have, particularly when they're students and they're young. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Well, before I, I let you go completely, I had one more important question for you. Why a bunny chop? <laughs> well, I've asked myself that a lot um, over the years. I, uh, I used to draw lots of bunnies um, in school and outside of school I don't know it just kind of I just had this bunny thing for a long time and I realized at one point I realized my whole childhood I was surrounded by bunnies really? and yeah and and I did an interview with I don't know with somebody several years ago and I was like man that I think that's it I was surrounded by you know you have like childhood themes of whether it's Winnie the Pooh or whatever right. <laughs> Beatrix Potter Beatrix Potter was everywhere in my room growing up we have little plates and dishes little baby plates and dishes and there were all these cute little bunny rabbits everywhere I had like children's books about bunnies and and then my mom she unconsciously would collect bunny things and put them around the house like little terracotta <laughs> something like little terracotta little tchotchke things to put on the bookshelves or like a planter with a fern in it or something so there was bunnies everywhere and I talked to my mom about it and she heard the interview she read the interview and she's like what that's not true and then she started to look around her house and she's like oh my god <laughs> I mean they are good at multiplying so you know yeah 
Exactly. And that's part of the part of the pun also part of the part of the meaning too is that it's like, oh well I'm a printmaker and a br- I use a brayer. It's just like a dorky yeah. printmaker thing. So. I love it. I love it. It's, it's <laughs> that's the um the fecundity of rabbits, the fecundity of printmaking, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, that's good. Well, can you please tell people where they can find you, where they can follow you, um, your different shops, and maybe go see some of those big, beautiful French litho presses? I have, well, I have my Brayer Rabbit Instagram. That's more like my, my personal one, I guess. I don't know. So if you want to see cute uh, pictures of me and my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, um, but there's also some print stuff in there too, like my own work. But I also have Deb Cheney editions, the same on Facebook. I think it's just Deborah Cheney. Um, I also have a website, debcheneyeditions.com. And my husband's is stefangilbo.com, I believe is his website. And then it's Atelier Gilbo, which is his Instagram. Yeah, that's that's where you can find us and. I'll try to post more beautiful Boiram printing presses. Yes, and I think I think everyone who's been sort of locked in their home country for the last seven months, I'm sure, could use some some beautiful shots of just somewhere that's not home, somewhere that's France, maybe. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy, happy to help. I'm happy to beautiful. Share. Well, thank you very much. Um, sure it was good to talk to you yeah i'm just so glad we were able to make it work it was an absolute delight hearing your story and i can't wait to to follow you and see what the next few years brings in in france and hopefully you'll get back to new york at some point too yeah i gotta get back to vote (laughs) yes (laughs) important thing very very important um so yes Deb, thank you for saying so. Everyone, you literally have to vote to save the world in November. <laughs> um, every American over 18. And there's actually a really great website. It's just votesaveamerica.com. It's everything you need to be a voter. If you're at all confused about, am I registered? Can I vote online? Do I have to vote by mail? Like, where is my polling place? You can go in there. It makes it super slick and easy and put everything in. VoteSaveAmerica.com if you are all confused, anyone who's listening to this. So please, please, please help us not have the world end in 2020, even though it seems to be doing its best. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. R.B.G. Oh yes, my gosh. an R.I.P. R.B.G. You were, you were too good for us. We didn't deserve you. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, thank you again, Deb. And uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah, it's good it's... to talk to you. Meet you yeah. <laughs> on the line. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Faisal Abdu Allah. We talk about his experience growing up in London as the youngest in a large family with Jamaican immigrant parents how the barbershop came to be so central to his creative practice, and what he can tell us about the future of SGCI as its current president. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber.
I'll see you next week. Thank you.